prove the message. Um, but in the midst of that, it, the Lord gave me another avenue to express what it is that he's had laid on my heart for a little bit of, of time to all of you. And so I'm actually going to bracket the story that she used this morning uh, and point out a couple of details that I have seen before, but not quite in the light that I saw them this morning and that illustrate what was already in my heart. And in fact, I will allude to probably pieces of what I was going to use originally to preach it, but this, this takes us in the right direction. And so 1 Kings chapter 17, before Leela gave you a, a, a kind of a, a synopsis of the story, what starts this whole Elijah narrative off is chapter 17 Elijah goes, verse 1 tells us that he goes to confront Ahab. And that confrontation went something like this. As surely as the Lord God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought. And everybody see that language right there, okay? Now, I'm, I'm sticking with, I, I assume you were using the message this morning. That's what I figured I went and looked around because it wasn't the NLT, so I went looking around, and I think I identified it. You're going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. I always love that little passage. Can you imagine the amount of faith that Elijah had to have that he would say to a king, I control the weather? Boy, you're going to have to have heard from God. You, you stop and think about that for just a moment. To, to have the chutzpah and the wherewithal to look at a king and say, it's on my word. Not God will do what he wants to do. No, no, no. It's on my word. And until you hear my voice again, king, not a drop. And, and, and the importance of this to most of us is lost. Some of you here have some agricultural roots, maybe back one generation or two, but most of us do not understand what he had just said. Elijah basically stepped into the king and said, I'm tanking your economy. You are headed into a great depression. Your people and you are going to starve. You're going to die at my word. Now, my point in starting here is, and I'm going to buttress this. I'm going to make this point. There's no way Elijah did this on his own. First of all, you don't do that on your own because God doesn't answer to any man. Man answers to God. Okay, let's get that very straight. God does not answer to man. Humanity answers to God. So God wouldn't have followed Elijah's lead. Elijah was following God's lead. And I'll show you in chapter 18 that that is, in fact, when the drought ends, you will see what is neglected in this first part of the story, namely that God told Elijah to go and do that. You're going to see that God tells Elijah to go and say, the drought's over. So since God told him the drought's over, I'm going to assume, I think it's reasonable for us to assume that even though the story writer tells it in the manner he does, that what precipitated Elijah having a confrontation with Ahab was the voice of the Lord. 
That's what prophets are. Prophets are not in and of themselves anything. They are simply instruments that hear the voice of the Lord and speak what that voice of the Lord says. That's what a prophet is. Anything else is a public speaker. <laughs> okay? And I, I don't have any problem with public speakers. I, I, I myself can get up and publicly speak. But I try very hard not to step behind this pulpit and just publicly speak. That's why I preach the word. I don't have to have an unction from on high every single time that I preach. Because if I'll preach the word, then I'm speaking the word of the Lord. I'm speaking for the voice of the Lord. But there are other times when I've heard the voice of the Lord, and I am audacious enough, just as Elijah was, to step forward and say, this is what God said. And I know that he will not be in violation of his word. He will not be inconsistent with his word. But look at the audaciousness of this statement. At my word. It's my voice until I say otherwise. Otherwise, not a drop is coming down out of the heavens. Now, that's the context of what Sister Leela brought us today and that confrontation that occurs uh, then later. Now, in between that, we all know that God then tells, if I were to take the time, I'm going to summarize for sake of time. He tells Elijah, get out of there. Go hide. And he tells him to go hide by a brook. And he sends ravens to feed him. But if you read the story, you will find that, in fact, the ravens feed him for a period of time. And then the scriptures tell us the brook dries up. So the prophet is now living with the results of his own prophetic word. The prophet is living in the circumstances that the people he spoke to were living in. He's living in a time where there has not been a drop of rain. And this is where God then provides for the prophet, tells him to leave the country, basically go to a widow. And, of course, the drought is so severe that even neighboring countries have been impacted. They're slightly further out, but they've been impacted, and she's about to die. And we know the whole story of how he, again, speaks quite audaciously and says, make me a cake, let me eat it. And the cruise of oil and the flour in the pot never ran out for the rest of the drought. And then we come to chapter 18. So chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. A long time passed, then God's word came to Elijah. Again, the word of the Lord. The drought was now in its third year. I don't even need to go do the study. I know what three years with absolutely zero rain will do to you. Your land is completely parched. You walk it and it's dust. It's cracked. In fact, the biggest problem at this point is a deluge of rain doesn't even turn it around because it wipes away all your topsoil if it's not already blown away. It's a problem. It's an issue. So the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, the drought's in its third year, and the message is, quote, go and present yourself to Ahab. I'm about to make it rain on the country. Now remember, last time Ahab's had interaction with Elijah, and we know from the story this morning that Obadiah has been searching the country along with all the other countries. They can't find Elijah. So for three years, Elijah's been hiding. He can't be found. Ahab can't find him. Now Ahab is going to see him. The last words he heard was, no rain till I speak it. 
And the first words he's going to hear after three years of drought are, it's about to rain. So Elijah set out to present himself to Ahab. The drought in Samaria at the time was most severe. Most severe. Now, if we drop down to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, just for sake of time. Again, I'll, I'll allow Sister Leela's, uh, you know, message this morning to stand in its place and handle its. Again, I encourage you that, it, that you go and you listen to that or you watch that. So Elijah goes and he, he confronts Ahab and he basically commands Ahab. The tone of this prophet is not one of permission. It's not one of kindness. It's, it, it is what Sister Rachel just said. It is the John the Baptist voice. What startled you vipers to come out of your dens? What freaked you hypocrites out that you're out in public? This is not how I teach even our pastoral team to treat people to win favor. Uh, that's, not, that's not the typical way that I, I would suggest that we even handle our guests and our visitors, let alone those of you that come here on a Sunday night. So here comes Elijah. He confronts Ahab, and he says, you're going to show up at Carmel, and you're going to make sure all the prophets of Baal are there. You're going to make sure all the prophets of Asherah are there. By the way, uh, Sister Leela, if you want to know the Hebrew way of saying Baal, it's Baal. But Baal's fine. Most people say Baal. But the technical Hebrew way of, it's not nobody, just most of you don't know. It's Baal. And you got to understand, Baal and Asherah were horrible people. They were horrible entities. They were horrible deities. The priests of these two gods were absolutely horrific. And what's ironic is Asherah was worse than Baal. Asherah was the consort of Baal. Asherah required child sacrifice. Asherah required that the firstborn child, for fertility purposes, in other words, for the land to grow crops, you bring your children, your firstborn child, and while you, the wife, are going into the temple precincts, which are feminine only, and you are literally slitting the throat of your child upon an altar to Asherah. Your husband, at the same time, is in the groves copulating with temple prostitutes. You see, you, you get far, far enough along here, you understand why Elijah had a bit of an attitude. You understand why Elijah had it up to here. He was up to here. I mean, he just had it. He's like, no, 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 we're not playing with this. Now you understand why he, he wasn't just being impolite when he poked fun at these prophets. Because these prophets had said, we serve the gods of fertility. Their land is cracked. There is no rain. There are no crops at the voice of the almighty prophets. Not the voice of Baal's prophets. Not the voice of Asher's prophets. At the voice of the almighty's prophet. Not until I say it will there be rain. He's shaming them. God is actually picking a fight with Baal and Asherah. He's doing what he did in, 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 in Egypt, where he shamed. Most of the plagues in Egypt are tied directly or indirectly to a God that the Egyptians worshipped. And God humbled Egypt by showing that he was totally in control. Baal and Asherah said, if you will sacrifice your children to us, if you will worship us, we will make your land productive. 
God says, watch. I'm going to send a crazy man named Elijah. You aren't even going to like him because he doesn't talk right, he doesn't act right. He's going to walk in, he's going to say, my voice, no rain. So you get, a, you get the picture. They're standing there and they're doing all of that, that sacrifice to that altar and they're dancing around the altar and they're dancing on the altar and they're cutting themselves and they're just putting on a grand show, which normally works, but it don't work when you're in the presence of a real prophet and a real God. Please understand that. All of the show don't work when you're in the presence of a real God who's real prophet standing there. I'm sorry, I'm not impressed by show. Hollywood has nothing compared to the power of Almighty God. Please understand, Washington, D.C., New York City, all of that has nothing compared to the power and the authority of Almighty God. Elijah's not impressed. He's sitting there heckling them. I, I, you got to pray for me because I am very much in the spirit of Elijah. You get on the wrong side of me every once in a while, and I'll just heckle you. I'll just laugh at you. Just, just Friday, Lil called me a meanie. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Elijah doesn't care. My voice. He knows rain's coming. Elijah knows rain's coming, but only... From the voice of the Lord. He's not seen a cloud yet. We're going to see later in the story. I'm not going to read it to you tonight, but you can see later in the story that he, that he goes and looks and there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. He, he hadn't seen the rain yet. He only knows it by the voice of the Lord. The same voice of the Lord that spoke to him and said, go to Ahab and tell him that there will not be rain until you say there's going to be rain. Now the voice of the Lord has come to him and says, now you go tell Ahab that there's rain coming. But Elijah has not yet seen the rain. He's watched the water dry up. He's watched a widow only by miraculous means provide food for him. His neck is on the line too. And now he's created, I have a sneaky suspicion, at the direction of the Lord. I understand we prophets can be creative sometimes, but I think he'd heard from God. I think God gave him some of this plan. I think God laid some of this out. Elijah, I want to show my power. I want you to reconstitute my altar there on that mountain. I want you to do it at a particular time. That's why he set up the showdown earlier, so it would wait until the time of the evening sacrifice. He'd give them hours to do their showbiz. Then he finally said, enough. You go read the story. He's in total control of everything here. The king's not running things. The people aren't running things. Nobody's running anything except Elijah. How in heaven's name? There's 800 and some people, just the prophets alone, let alone the king, let alone his soldiers. How's Elijah running it? I'm telling you right now, you do not want to mess with a person who's heard the voice of the Lord. That's why some of you are like, wow, I didn't know Sister Lil had a dinner. She didn't. She don't. But when the Lord begins to speak, when God puts a word in your spirit, when there's a voice of the Lord that's spoken, there's something that begins to transform because heaven and earth rest and hang and operate at the power of his word. It's not about us. I couldn't agree more with what Sister Rachel said. It's not about our ability. This same person that you sit and listen to and go, wow, pastor can preach. You understand that I said at this, I, I knelt at this altar, this very altar, and used to beat 
this altar saying, God, where is my anointing? I have stood and watched my father preach. Where is my anointing? And God just said, you'll have it when you need it. I was speaking long before the anointing began to come. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the God whose voice is speaking. It's about the God whose voice is speaking. And what is critical to us to understand tonight is that you've got to hear the voice of the Lord. You as leaders must, 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 must hear the voice of the Lord. And when you hear it, then you must be obedient to it. No matter what it costs you. So beginning with verse 30, Elijah tells the people, enough of that. It's my turn. Gather round. So they gathered. So he puts the altar back together, for by now it was in ruins. This is referring to an altar that used to be there. He took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, the same Jacob to whom God said, from now on your name is Israel. He built the stones into the altar in honor of God. Then Elijah dug a fairly wide trench around the altar. He laid firewood on the altar. He cut up the ox. He put it on the wood, and he said, Fill four buckets with water and drench both the ox and the firewood. Four buckets. In a drought. Where the brook that has sustained him, God let it dry up. Did anybody ever stop to think, where'd the buckets come from? Where'd the water come from? Four buckets. Then he said, do it again. So now we're up to eight. And they did it. Then he said, do it a third time. Now we're up to 12. 12 buckets of water in a three-year drought. The altar was drenched, and the trench was filled with water. When it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, why was it time? Because it was a time of the evening sacrifice. There's a specific time for that evening sacrifice. That is what Elijah is aligning himself to, is that specific time. Elijah the prophet came up and he prayed. O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders. I want everybody to just see the simplicity of this. I want you to show them that you are God. I want you to show them that I am your servant. And I want you to let them know that everything I've done, I've done because you told me to. When I confronted Ahab the first time, I did it because you told me to. When I confronted him the second time, I did it because you told me to. When I caused drought to occur, I did it because you told me to. When the rain comes, it's going to be because you told me to. I have heard the voice of the Lord. Answer me, God. Oh, answer me and reveal to this people that you are God, the true God, and that you are giving these people another chance at repentance. Scripture tells us that immediately the fire of God fell, burned up the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and even the water in the trench. Did I stop there, guys? Or did I give you one more verse? That's where I want to stop. Has anybody stopped and thought about that fire? What kind of fire can melt rock? It's not the fire I start in my wood stove, I can tell you that for sure. I can heat a rock up and cook stuff on it. Again, I'm not the scientist, and I didn't have time to ask my dad, but I, I'm thinking it's got to be something along the lines of lava, something where it's actually being able to take the earth itself and heat it to such a place that it decomposes. 
Hotter than that. That's the fire that drops from heaven. Is that what it needs? There we go. Okay, you got the point. Thank you, those of you with Google and scientific mind. It was his mind. It was Google. I'm not saying he doesn't have a mind. I'm just saying I saw his phone was up. Love you, Curtis. He was just in class, so he's, he's all right. He can use Google. He's, he's, he's tired. Desi made him work for an hour. Wet meat. Wet wood. Wet rock. Wet dirt. And the fire that dropped from heaven licked all of that up plus the water. The closest I can get is when we used to burn trees, green trees. You know you can't really burn green trees unless you get it hot enough. I don't know if we should have done that or not, but we had a big old well top that sat in the back here. We heated that thing so bad it cracked all over the place. It was reinforced. The only reason it stayed together is because there was rebar running on the inside of it. And my dad and I would cut, well, he would cut down these trees, and then we would burn them. But they're green. But we got that sucker so hot that you could take it, green leaves, and you'd run that sucker down into there, and that flame was so hot, it would begin to burn that green leaves. It would burn that sap, and it would burn that wood because it was hot enough. That's the closest I can get. But we're not talking about soaked with 12 buckets of water. All right, you ready? You're going to get it really fast here. You're going to go home and have to think about it. Number one, you want... A sacrifice to be accepted with fire from on high. You want the power of God to operate in your life. You want power that transforms what is not humanly possible. Then you have to give to God what you don't have enough of. They don't have enough water. So if you're sitting around going, until I get enough time, or until I get enough money, or until I get enough talent, or until I get enough fill in the blank, I'm here to tell you, you want to see the fire of God fall in your life. You want to see the power of God operate in your life. You want to see transformation occur in your life. You have to give God what you don't have enough of. That was the first thought that hit me this morning. Because I'm about to step before a congregation and report to you what I did last year with regard to the finances in management and what we're going to do this year. And I'm telling you right now, we don't have enough money. And God says, give it to me. I don't know how many years. I mean, I've lived by tithing my entire life. My, my parents taught me from a little boy, okay? I tithed on my birthday money, Okay. You never, when you start tithing, have enough money. Can I get an amen from some folks that have come from the world? When you start tithing, you never have enough money. It is never enough money. And you'll never have enough money until you give God what you don't have enough of. You want God to answer you with fire from on high, fire so powerful, fire so transforming that it changes the very laws of the universe.
You got to give God what you don't have enough of. What precipitates Elijah to ask that? Now, see, we override this. We go, oh, he's the prophet. He knows what's going to happen. No, he's heard the voice of the Lord, but he's not got no guarantee that it's actually going to happen. He hasn't seen a cloud yet. There's no rain come down yet. He has no promise except the voice of the Lord. That's all he's got is the voice of the Lord. That is all he has is the voice of the Lord. Yes, he's got past faith experiences. Yes, at the voice of the Lord, he said there will be a drought. And for three years, there has been a drought. So he knows the voice of the Lord. I've got past experiences. We've got past stories here of the voice of God operating in our midst. We know what God has done in the past, but every single time you hear the voice of the Lord and you step into that space in which he says, now I need you to do the following and you don't know for sure except his voice, you're going to have to take a step of faith. And you're going to have to give God what you don't have enough of. First time I ever stepped into a pulpit, I did not have the ability to speak. I have ability to speak now. That's why I'm very diligent and make sure that I'm praying and that I'm, I'm focused on God. Because I can get up here and fake it. I've been preaching for 23 years. Actually, probably a little bit longer. I have some abilities now. I can dial it in. When I started preaching, Rick's always very careful to affirm to all of you, I did not have the ability. In fact, he was so kind to tell me that my son Caleb's first message in Spanish, he said it sounded even better than yours. How he knows that, I have no idea because he doesn't speak Spanish, but he was quick to affirm to me, your boy's on a better path than you. My point is to kind of rib my friend a little bit. But it's also to just simply tell you, I gave God what I didn't have ability to do. First time my dad ever told me to lead a worship, I remember it was at a Bible quiz tournament. It was a junior Bible quiz tournament. He says, you're leading worship. I was terrified. You give me the pulpit now. I'll lead you in worship. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how bad the orchestra is. I can lead you in worship. I now have experience. I now have ability. You don't get from God what you need. Until you give him what you don't have enough of. That's how it works. Elijah and the people of Israel did not have enough water. Why would they take water that they probably were on rations of how often they could even eat or drink in a day? And they're pouring it. Can you imagine the people sitting there staring at this as bucket after bucket is splashing down over raw meat, over cut wood, over stones, into a ditch of water. And they're like, oh. They don't have enough of it. You want fire from heaven? You've got to give God what you don't have enough of. Now, I could stop right there. That'd be fine. That's epiphany enough. But here's the second epiphany. A prophet of God who's heard from God has to take those steps of faith. But he or she cannot take those steps of faith without somebody or somebodies who believe them.
Elijah had been hiding out in another country. The reservoir of water, the buckets that had been saved, somebody had worked very hard to save 12 buckets of water. Somebody had been diligent. Somebody had been careful. Somebody had been very, very intentional to build up the reserve. Elijah heard the voice of the Lord and said, we're going to have a showdown. And we're not just going to have a little old showdown. We're going to have a big one. We're going to have a massive miracle. We're going to have one that blisters your eyeballs. We're going to have one that changes your perspective. We're going to have one that forces you, Israel, to choose you this day who you will serve. But somebody or somebody's, and the story doesn't tell us, when Elijah said, I need water, somebody had enough faith. They had to take a step of faith just like Elijah had to take a step of faith because nobody had seen any rain, not a drop of it in three years. But somebody there had been serving God. Somebody there had been waiting through the drought. Somebody there believed the prophet. Somebody there says, I believe enough that I'll take what is my reserve and I'll pour it out. There it goes. Bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket. You want to see the fire of God fall on this place? We have to give him what we don't have enough of. And I can't do that alone. Third and final point. The tragedy. (laughs) Is if they had refused. In just a few short hours. They were going to have more than enough. Of what they currently did not have enough of. The buckets of water not needed anymore. It's a torrential downpour. The worst thing you can do in your walk with God is hold on to the things that you think you need. But because you're not listening to the voice of the Lord, he's telling you, you don't need those buckets of water. I'm telling you right now, I'm being very transparent with you. Tell you right now, everything in my body is screaming. You need your reserve. And yet the voice of the Lord says, you don't need that reserve. I'm going, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. We've always had a reserve. What are you talking about? There's got to be a reserve. What are you talking about? There's got to be a reserve. We got to have those buckets. How are we supposed to operate without those buckets? But now go back to the story. Imagine the man or the woman or the multiple men or women who had two or three or four buckets that they'd hidden away. I promise you they'd hidden them away. This is a drought. People are starving. People are thirsty. People are hurting. They've hidden them away. Somewhere they're hidden away. I don't know if it's in a shed. I don't know if it's in their living room. I don't know if it's behind their headboard. But somewhere they've hidden away a bucket of water. They believe in God. They love God. There's no question about this congregation loving God. All they got is the voice of the Lord. I'm sending rain. 
Well, Lord, I think I'll hold on to my bucket until you send the rain. If you do that, if I do that, if we do that, we don't participate in the miracle. That's what you heard this morning. How long are you going to hold between two opinions? Either God's true or he's not. Either he speaks truth or he doesn't. Either he's miraculous or he's not. Either he heals or he doesn't. Either he performs miracles or he doesn't. Either he is miraculous or he doesn't. Either he breaks his own rules of the universe or he doesn't. He either is sovereign or he's not. He's either in control of all the money of the world or he's not. He's either got the power to produce coins in fish's mouths. He's the person who can feed five out of five loaves and two fish, 20,000 people. He either is or he isn't. Which one do we believe? It's that simple. Israel, which one are you? How long will you halt between the two opinions? How long will you look and say, there's the God who provides this? I'm telling you right now, we live in a country that is ruled by Baal. That is why we put people that we do into political office, because we vote by our pocketbooks. I'm not here to take a socialist. I'm not here to take us communist. I'm not here to take us anywhere political. I'm here to tell you we live in a country that serves the almighty dollar. There is no way that one or another of us has not been impacted by this. There's no way that our perspective is not impacted by this. There's no way that it does not affect us. And into that steps a God who says, I own everything. I can handle your health. I can handle your wealth. I can handle your needs. I can handle your problems. Are you not more valuable? You heard the just of thought. Are you not more valuable than a sparrow? Do you not understand the value that you have? Do you not understand who you are to me? Do you not understand that if I look at the lilies of the field and if I look at the sparrows in the trees, that I am acutely aware of you? I know how many hairs are in your head. Do we believe him or don't we? I'm telling you right now, I don't believe him. I don't believe him. I'm not sure that Elijah believed him. You know how I know? Because as soon as he has this prophetic moment with God, as soon as the fire drops from heaven, as soon as the altar's licked up, as soon as he slits the throats of those over 800 prophets, Jezebel sends one message. Ladies, please forgive me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a little hyperbole here. One little old queen sends one little old message, and Elijah's off with his tail between his legs, running off to the wilderness, going, oh, God, just kill me before she gets me. James cites him as a human just like us. That's me. I've seen the miraculous. I've seen the miracle even this year. But I got my tail between my legs going, oh, God, I, can, I, can I please hold on to one bucket? Can I, can I have two? Okay, I gave you two, but can I keep two? Six is enough. It's wet. Why you need all 12? Because I have a sneaky suspicion that the 12 was not just about the 12 tribes of Israel. I have a sneaky suspicion 12 was all that somebody or somebody's had. Because I can find biblical principle after biblical principle, story after story where God walks up and says, I need all that you have. Then I'll return it to you. But first you're going to dump it out. First you're going to give me what you don't have enough of. 
First, you're going to place it in my hands. People around you are going to believe in your word that you've heard from me, and you're going to place it in my hands. I don't think Elijah believed, but Elijah obeyed. <laughs> I know we always take that prayer, and I'm closing. I know we always take that prayer, and we hear Elijah booming it out. I don't think he was booming it out. I think it was in a high, squeaky voice, like the way Sister Rachel sounds when she's really worshiping Jesus. I think it was plaintiff. Oh, God! Please show this people that I really am your servant. Please, God. Yo, please, 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 please. Because I'm in a heap of trouble. Because if fire don't fall from this heaven, they are going to kill me. I'm not convinced he believed. But I'm convinced he obeyed. So tonight I challenge you. Whatever it is that you hear in the voice of God this year, whatever it is that he directs you, and I'm not just here to talk to you about money, but money's included. I'm not just here to talk to you about time. Time's included. I'm here to talk to you about whatever it is you don't have enough of. When you hear the voice of God that gives you direction, that suddenly asks you to step into a place that you do not have enough to be secure If you've got to feel like you believe, then I, as your pastor, have got to resign because I don't, I don't feel it. I'm terrified. But I did learn a long time ago how to obey him. Because the first time my parents told me that you're better off financially with eight rather than ten, I didn't believe. But I did it. You can't get me to not live on eight rather than ten. <laughs> I'm telling you. In fact, the worse life gets or the more that I the more money I give. And if you don't believe me, they're not going to tell you the numbers, but you go ask the finance guys. You go ask the receipts guys. I am out there. I am on it already, personally. I ain't playing. Because I done learned that lesson. I don't have enough. I got kids every two years hitting college. No, no, no. I don't have enough. I learned this principle before. I don't know how to believe, but I know how to obey. I don't know how to leave what I have unleashed on us. I don't know how to lead all of this. I am so out of control, I am a nervous wreck. I'm neurotic. I know, I got it together. You think I got it together. I'm telling you, I am neurotic. It's only the grace of God and me spending a couple hours every other day swimming in a pool that keeps me from going to bonkers. Because I don't naturally trust people. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. I do trust them. I trust them to mess up. I trust them to mess up. And there are things that I have had control over for decades, not years, decades, that I've made sure went right, that I don't have control over now. 
There's a whole team new leaders that I'm sitting down this year, and I look at you, and I'm hopeful, and at the same time, I'm looking at it going, dear Jesus, please don't get mad at me when I say this, but dear Jesus, if this is the best we got, we're in a heap of trouble. I know some of you are going to get mad at me on that, and that's fine. We'll talk it through in the year. If this is the best we got, Jesus, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, I am so out of control. <laughs> you think Elijah wasn't out of control? <laughs> He's standing there. He's poured 12 buckets of water, stuff he doesn't have enough of. Somebody else has believed in him. That's the crazy part. None of you are, none of you are doubting me. That's terrifying me even worse. Now you're ratifying what I know. Y'all are stupid. You should be firing me. I look at an advisory board, and Lil and Brother Moss just keep telling me, you're over-explaining, Steve, you're over-explaining. The advisory board even says, Steve, we got it. We know what you're doing. We got what's going on. I'm like, well, then you guys should be flipping out. No, we believe in you. You got to be kidding me. Why would you believe in me? Why would you believe in this action? How in heaven's name does this make sense? Think about it. There's a prophet, one prophet. There's 800 prophets. One prophet looks and says, I need 12 buckets of water. Somebody has scraped for three years to have those, three, those 12 buckets of water, and somebody believed in Elijah. They didn't hear the voice of God. They heard Elijah say, I've heard the voice of God. Here's my final point. This whole thing we're doing, this whole serving Jesus thing, doesn't work unless you hear the voice of the Almighty. And you've got to believe that he actually speaks. And he always speaks crazy ideas. He tells people to stand at a sea with an army behind them. Not built boats. Stretch a stick over it. See, we've heard the story too often. It makes sense to us. You put yourself there. Armies behind you. Water you can't swim in. And God says, stick a stick over it. <laughs> Go to the New Testament. First of all, you're wigged out because God's doing something you've never seen before. He's walking on water. And then you decide to be crazy and you dare him. That's what I've done. I've personally dared him. I've dared him with the church. Peter says, if that's really you, Jesus, bid me come out on the water. I'm not sure Peter believed. I'm not sure Peter wasn't trying to call Jesus bluff. I'm not sure Peter actually, I'm not sure, because I wonder what happened when Jesus says, okay, come. <laughs> Peter walked on water. We always like to major on the fact that he lost faith and he fell down in the water, but he, for a season, walked on water, and then he walked on water again when he returned to the boat. I'm telling you, God breaks his own laws of the universe. His own physical laws. So you want fire from heaven? You want the miracle? 
in your life? You want your loved one reached miraculously? You got to give God what you don't have enough of. You got to partner with people who you know hear the voice of God. And together you give God what none of you have enough of. Because you've heard his voice. Mom and dad, I know I'm causing you some consternation these last few years. And I'm sorry. But it's your fault. Because the two of you insisted year after year after year, son, you must hear the voice of God. I hear his voice. There's no way around it. When you hear his voice, you take a sick woman who's just given birth to a dead baby and a little boy, and you quit your lucrative job, and you go start a church. It's your fault. So I understand as 81 that you're having trouble with it, and I'll walk with you, but it's your fault. Don't whine too much. It's your fault. You built this church on this. We will grow this church on this. We will all get to heaven as God operates according to this principle. When God speaks, we obey with no safety net in place. Because God doesn't send fire from heaven unless you give him what you don't have enough of. Unless people have banded together who don't have enough of it and they have faith. So this year, I know last Sunday I cast some vision to you about minding the one. But to you leaders this year, when you hear his voice, obey it. Whatever it is. Whether it's your time, whether it's going and doing something that's outside your safety zone, whether it's speaking to a neighbor in a way that you wouldn't normally have done, whether it's you tapping into your money and getting on the bandwagon with me where you're at risk, whether it's changing your lifestyle to remove things that for years you say, God, when you do this, then I'll do this. Whatever it is, if you're going to be a Christian, it requires you to hear the voice of the Lord and then be obedient. Not feel like you believe. No. I don't feel like I believe. I don't know about mom and dad. You can ask them whether they felt like they believe. Well, actually, I'll rephrase that. Dad might have, but mom definitely didn't. She was scared all the time. Yet God did miracles in our midst. So what are we going to do? We're going to be obedient with no safety net. And every once in a while, a shrieking prayer. Oh, God! It's okay. So if you in your private or in public begin to shriek to God, it's okay. It's all right, because trust me, your pastor is shrieking to God right now. I, every week I shriek to God. Oh, God, you've got to show yourself powerful. But we're going to be obedient. Because why am I going to serve Jesus and skip the fire from heaven that melts stone? Sorry, I'm not skipping that. i got to see fire from heaven. I'm not serving Jesus to be lackluster in middle middle of the road. I'm sorry. That's not the way I was raised, and it's not my personality. i got to see fire from heaven. I must see fire from heaven. There's a shot I can see fire from heaven coming down and backing up the word of the Lord. I'm going to do whatever it is to let the fire from heaven fall so that a people and a country and a county and a nation can have a choice between God 
and the gods of this world. I will do whatever it takes to see the fire from heaven come down. Join me. It'll be wild. But I got a lot of stories that tell me that God's been faithful. He just doesn't promise to be faithful this time until I believe him. Let's stand. Remember the key point. God wants what you don't have enough of. Would you lift your hands and your voices to God right now and ask him for his word? It's been a rich day. I understand there's a lot of word and a lot of speaking that has come from God. Would you open yourself to him just a moment? I know I've run long a little bit. Would you just open yourself to him and say, Lord, speak into my life, speak into my heart, speak into my mind. Jesus, God, we open ourselves to you. We make ourselves vulnerable to you, Lord Jesus. God, we make ourselves totally dependent upon you, Jesus. There is no answer, Lord, beyond you, Lord, but we trust you. God, we're scared to death, but we believe you. We're going to be obedient, Lord. We're going to show our faith by what we do, not just by what we say. Lip service, Jesus, but actual actions. Jesus, we believe in you. We trust you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.